right here. All right, and if we are ready, let's go to work. All right, welcome to Command A, episode 21. What a great episode this is going to be. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing great, Jason. How are you doing? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. I'm, I'm calfed up, ready to go. Uh, and Kevin and I are very happy to welcome Mr. Billy Shear, host of Conversation X Nilo. He's going to work with us today, and we're going to talk uh, about an interesting documentary. But first, Billy, welcome, and tell us about Conversation X Nilo. Good to be here, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Uh, the conversation continues. You know, this week I've got uh, Nicholas Cage expert. I'll be talking to the uh, curator of the John Wayne Museum next week. Interesting. Uh, and after that, uh, I'm revisiting my childhood yet again with Mark Farrell, another Canadian actor from that TV show. I'm just so fond of. <laughs> You're a big fan of Canadians, I've noticed. It came out of nowhere. Surprises me as much as it surprises you. <laughs> I like Canadian comedy. I I, I got to tell you, there's a lot of Canadian comedians over the years that I've just absolutely loved. Uh, must be something they have, uh, you know, maybe up in the uh, the very uh, the very cold winters gives them time to really work their craft and and make it amazing. I don't I don't know what it is, but they're good. It's got to be the syrup. <laughs> Sweet syrup. <laughs> well, all right. <clears throat> so we all watched a documentary, and we're going to talk about it today on Netflix. Uh, it's, uh, what is it called again? The Social Dilemma. And it's about social media. And ironically, we have talked about this before, and that's why I certainly want to have Billy on here today. Because there's a lot of issues, I think, out there with social media or at least perceived and there are concerns and this this documentary for me guys was very eye-opening uh you know and i thought i had a pretty good grasp on a lot of it but man i i learned a lot too what what did you think kevin well, like we've talked about i have an issue with kind of social media and um i just feel like it's it has some issues like a, it doesn't have a necessarily positive impact on our society. However, I feel like um, it's you can curate it to make it better. Like you can choose which rabbit holes to go down to a point. Um, again, watching this documentary is very eye opening. Um, a lot of the social divide and stuff we see in the country seems to be, according to this, almost manufactured. What do you think, Billy? Or played upon? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about manufactured, uh, certainly exploited and magnified um, by social media. Uh, you know, I, I, it's funny that you wanted to watch this because I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher by trade, sort of, a, a bit of a principal, if you will. And I was walking into the classroom the other day, and my teachers were showing that film to the students. So. Really. Uh, this was a very appropriate time to look at this. So I was looking at their faces this week watching that movie, and I was kind of wondering what kind of an impact it's going to have. I, I honestly think, cynically, zero. 
<laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I think I think I agree with that. I took it. I took the. You know, again, I think I think I, I kind of took it as a uh, an educational piece. I learned a lot about a lot of things, but they, you know, they did get into certainly in the last few minutes of, of the show. They, they there's a, it's it's been there's been a lot of good come from it as well from social media. I mean, I hate to, I don't want to just cast this broad brush that social media is evil and it's destroying the world. Maybe it is, but that's not the way I'm seeing it. Um, but what, I was interested to to. I mean, it's interesting that it's on Netflix, and I always thought of Netflix as kind of a data collector too, but the more I've looked into it, they are a data collector, but they're using it for their own internal use. They don't end up selling that data because that would be futile to their business model. Their business model is to know how to get you to stay tuned to you know, whatever you're watching on Netflix. That's that's their goal. So it's a u- kind of a unique thing. It's kind of it reminds me of Apple. They're gathering information too all the time. And we didn't see them talk about Apple or, of course, Netflix because it's on Netflix. But I think that's the reason because depending on the business model, if you have a business model built on, you know, collecting everyone's data to be able to build the, to build the profile of them, to get them to keep clicking, et cetera, et cetera, well, you know, it's a different different world. Uh, did you guys see a difference there between those two? You know, I, I really, <laughs> I noticed that too. I, a friend of mine, he lives in Los Angeles and he's got some friends who work for Netflix and he's told me that the their internal employee mantra is, our only competition is sleep. And I think that <laughs> is one of the creepiest things I've ever heard in my life. It, That's the I mean, funniest they, thing they, I've heard. They don't want you to ever look away from their their content. And, sure. and that's what I really took out of this documentary as well. The, the kind of irony of it is, you know, I'm, this documentary concludes a little bit with talking about the danger of the rabbit holes, right? And one of the people on the documentary says, uh, one thing you can do uh, to lessen your social media impact is to stop clicking on the things that are recommended to you and only go after things that you want to see. And then as soon as the movie is over, Netflix is recommending all these other things like Marvelous <laughs> Miss Maisel and all that other crazy, crappy programming. That's right. That's right. And that's why I think a lot of it is just going to be, it's going to fall on deaf ears. I, I, I really do. It, it, would, it, ta- yeah, it would take a lot really of self does. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. Use sir. the wrong word as far as manufacture these, these things. But it's interesting to me how if you live in different parts of the country, when it was talking about what it suggests to you when you just start typing a phrase like in Google or even for me, I'll throw, I'll kind of throw the flat earthers under the bus a little bit here. Like if you're into that, you're going to keep seeing stuff in that feed and it's going to keep telling you that, yeah, what you're thinking is true, right? You're going to keep hearing from those type of folks. It reinforces it. You're not really getting a different perspective. So I think um, as adults, um, some of us are able to, see the through the bs and not click on certain things or stop watching something when it starts going a certain way but a lot of people can't or won't depend on how you look at it i think we're all somewhat impacted by it if we if we recognize it or not is the hard thing to your point even if you recognize it it's kind of hard sometimes not to engage with it and be part of it because i i've done the same thing for a long time i've very, very familiar with algorithms. In fact, my actually my degree was in e-business, and and early on, this is the late '90s. I kind of put myself out there as a uh, 
pay or a search engine optimization expert. And I actually had some job offers, but I was too nervous to do it because I didn't think I really knew what I was doing uh, because there wasn't anybody doing it at the time. And, you know, I, so I've kind of understood how these models work over the years. But even then, I also know that I fall prey to it. And I, I, I notice that if I don't go into whatever it is, if I'm not following a variety of content on whatever social media I'm using, I know I'm going to be served what, you know, whatever I'm focused on that day. And it could be anything, guys. It could be, it doesn't necessarily have to be something to do politically or news related. If you're following uh, whatever your hobby is, right, you start seeing that that kind of thing too. Like when I was framing the basement and I was looking up a lot of woodworking videos on YouTube, well, guess what I get recommended to me? <laughs> All these other woodworking rec videos. And, and so... It's not again. It's not necessarily bad because I did. I actually found some in there from those recommendations were very valuable to me that I may not have found otherwise. So I, I don't want to disparage it, but I think Kevin mentioned it earlier in the beginning that when we start talking about the political landscape and our mental health and things like that, you start getting a little concerned when everything is just negative, negative, negative. If that's what you're looking for, you start engaging with that content. Right? It's hard to, and it's hard not to, to tell you the truth. At least for me. Yeah, even at our ages, right? I mean, I I think we're a little bit older because all three of us remember a time when there really wasn't the internet. Uh, we all definitely grew up at a time when there wasn't the internet. So I'm, you know, I'd be, I would love to have like a couple of teenagers on this panel too. You know what I mean? I'd love to see what they. I, I want to ask my students. I can't wait to talk to them about it on Monday and see what they, if it impacted them at all. Um, I think of it a lot like Edward Snowden, you know, I mean, it was a polarizing figure, I guess. Me personally, I, I think he's a bit of a hero. I think he's a bit of a Paul Revere type of character. You know, he tried to warn us about our data being stolen and, and being warehoused and what the government was doing with it. Um, and his warnings were met with a giant, massive collective shrug of the shoulders. And everyone just went on with their lives. I think of him as one of the most tragic figures of our modern times. I think of this documentary as just being so similar as it's, I know I keep harping on this point about it being um, uh, easily dismissed, but I think also it's the way that they presented the facts within the, the documentary. They give it this after school special kind of feel with these, these actors, you know, they, they got that, that, the boy in it, right? I've seen him in other shows and he's, he's got one of those faces that like he could be 40 or he could be 14. <laughs> like, he's going to have work for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm with you. Which is great. And I'm then, with you. But, but it gives you this, this feeling that like, well, if you get on social media, if you follow the rabbit holes, you're going to jail. That's, that's what the narrative of that documentary tells you. And it also gave you this impression. There were scenes in the documentary, for those who haven't seen it, where these shadowy figures um, are manipulating you in this matrix-like kind of environment, right? Where they're, they're, they're targeting you with ads and they're targeting you through your social media and through your telephone. And I think that there is something to that. However, it, it also, if you, you, you can also take away from it that it is personal, that they are, they, they know who you are and they, they are manipulating you. So in a sense, it still gives you a feeling of, a value of like, well, hey, Facebook knows who I am. No, they don't. Like, they don't even know who you are. You are just completely faceless and mm -hmm. a complete blob. Um, I, I feel like that is a much more impactful message that they don't care who you are. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that people looking at that would would have gotten that. But what I did appreciate was actually the illustrations. One of the notes I, I wrote here, and that is. 
you know, how how well that illustrated how things work and how the like button worked and, you know, how they serve up things to you to keep you engaged. I'm guilty of it. I've did the I've did doom scrolling. You guys have seen the term now since we've had COVID, right? This doom scrolling thing. I've been guilty of it, certainly back in April and May, man. And and I I've, I found myself doing it on Facebook, and I don't even have the app anymore. Kevin and I had talked about this before, uh, I think off the show, but uh, I actually I took the app off my phone because I would find myself clicking on it to go look for something to do with the maybe the podcast or whatever, and and I would I would go outside of my lane because I really wanted to just go see my podcast group right inside of Facebook, but then I would go outside of that, and pretty soon I'm just boom boom boom. boom. <laughs> <laughs> one thing after the other. And God help me if I post a video or a picture because I got to go back 50 times to make sure somebody liked it, right? And <laughs> I'm getting some love there because it gives you that dopamine yeah. hit, man. You know, I don't know. I'm not above it. I'm certainly not above it. I wish I was, but I, I am not. Kevin, what'd you think about the illustration and the, the way they portrayed? No, I had uh, Billy hit the nail on the head. <laughs> it was definitely like an after-school special and most people... Younger than us probably don't remember those things. But <laughs> no, I didn't like that part of it um, as much. And I thought some of the quotes in it were pretty good, though. Like, basically, I never thought of it this way, but if you're not paying for a product, you are the product. thought that was an interesting statement at the beginning. And then how they were talking about how it just slightly changed your perception over time of what reality is. Or, um, I'd be interested to see, like, so I have old Billy. I have twins that are 26, and then I have a 12-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. And I don't, I don't allow the young ones to use any social media. And I always get on one of my daughters, that one of my older daughters, when she always see her post stuff with filters because I think it, it's detrimental to kids, and even adults, right? This false sense of what, what people actually look like. Um, as an educator. What are your thoughts on when kids should be, just your opinion on when you can introduce social media? Oh, man. You know, the program that I run, it's very catered to students' individual needs. And there's this ethos that every student is different. Uh, you know, I don't know if I completely subscribe to that, but I think in some ways that's accurate. So it's hard to say, right? Because some are so much more vulnerable than others. So much, some are so much more mature than others. Um, I've noticed it with some of my students. Some can naturally put their phone away, no problem. And some are very anxious, like like addicts. You know, very itching towards their pockets or their purses. Um, it, it, it's all different, right? Like I think you you have to know your child and know what their um, uh, what their proclivities are and and where their vulnerabilities are uh, mentally and emotionally. Uh, just keeping a close eye on your kid, I guess. Like for me, I think I would have been, I should never have had it if I was that age because I just would have went nuts with it. You know, I was such a provocative person, always causing trouble without social media. I would have been just, I would have been, I would have been the kid, uh, the kids who end up in my school who are expelled for for putting up violent content or making threats or I would have done all of that stuff. I would have posed with guns. I would have done those things. I would have joined the virtual Ku Klux Klan just because it would have upset people. Um, and so I should have had no access to that stuff. Uh, but I have a personality that, that ca craved attention, that starved for it. So I think kids like that shouldn't have it. But then I've got kids who are so 
you know, introverted and they care about bugs and insects and, and they're, they're on these like Facebook groups with other kids who care a lot about bugs and insects and they've been bullied personally in school because they're so nerdy and they care about these things that nobody else cares about. But online, they're able to find communities that they, that make them feel welcome, you know? And so I, I don't have an answer, I guess, you know, it's, it's so different. Oh, good point. And as a parent, I don't have an answer. Um, so I uh, did find it interesting. Changes a lot. I did find it interesting. They they mentioned some of the uh, some of the folks in Silicon Valley, and I'd read this before too, that do not allow their children to have access to some of these things. And I, to me, that was that's a and, and it's been a very telling thing. I'm not good at it. Um, I've I've allowed my children to have social media. Uh, at some level, I mean, I'm fairly, I fairly limit it, but it doesn't matter how much you limit it because they find ways to use the, the phone constantly, uh, regardless. And, and it's, you know, it's their communication portal to their friends. Frankly, it's no different than when we would pick up the telephone to call or get on our bicycle and go to see our friends. It's just what they, what they do. And I set a shitty example. I got to tell you, uh, and so is my wife because we have the phones up way too often way too often if we're watching television if we're just sitting in the living room and everybody's sitting at a different spot but we're looking at a phone and doing something whatever it might be what i mean how, how does a kid look at their parents and you know say well i'm not supposed to be on this all the time but look at these two or this one or whatever their familial situation is i, I don't i don't have the answer because i'm not very good at it myself how many times did you guys look at your phones when you were watching the documentary? More than once. <laughs> More than so, two. I consciously I didn't only to make notes. Okay. So I made some notes or it might, something might spark my interest. So I kind of always like, I might start like a, a safari and I'll just keep opening tabs of things that I want to look up later, but I don't read them. Gotcha. So I don't know. If, I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's how I do it. Well, this is what happened. We're pretty conscious <laughs> about not taking our phones into restaurants or if we do they stay in our pockets i'm speaking to my wife and i um and so we've kind of done that i know that like my older kids texting was like the big deal that social media wasn't that big when they were were turning 16 17 but the show made a point of like kids don't care about driver's license and same thing the twins did not get their driver's license until they were 17 when they were 16 all they wanted were a phone <laughs> that was it and they were just irregular T9 texting type phones. I, I have uh, noticed that anecdotally with a lot of my students. So many of them don't have licenses or have any interest in it. That is interesting. I've always assumed that was more geographical because my son wanted a license, but then he got into video games and didn't care anymore. Um, or my daughter, she just turned 15. She really wants to go get her learner's permit, uh, which... You know, I don't know. Again, I don't know if that's geography or what the situation is, but I, it seems like uh, kids around, at least where I'm at, still seem to want to have, want to be able to drive. And, eh, what, what, again, talk about anecdotal. Yeah. <laughs> My control group's one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I. You're right about the, uh, the the social media people who have gotten off of it themselves, right? This this film, ha there's a host of them. And, I, you know, I've read so many articles. Some of these names I recognize from. Um, uh, op-ed pieces that they've written of some of their books I, I have on my to-read list, you know. So uh, it is kind of interesting how many people have left. It's kind of like, you know, if, if some of these 
if, if the core, if a, if a core's family member decided to give up alcohol and that beer was bad and just like left, you know, it'd be kind of a big deal. Um, and that's kind of rare, right? But these guys, there's so many of these people who are, are warning against it now that I think that's a little head spinning. It is. I agree with that. Let's look. The, the title caught me because I've had the social dilemma of one, am I going to allow my kids to use it or not? Right now, it's it's a strong no. I don't know when, what age I'll allow them to use social media. I do allow them to text with friends. And then for me, I didn't have I – I shut off Facebook like, um, I don't know, 2014 or so. I completely deleted my account. And then just recently, I got back on, and it was really just to, to be able to get pages I want and – and some of the restaurants I like to go to only have like a Facebook site. They don't have a website. Yep. And but then I started going down the rabbit hole of like getting friend requests, requesting all these friends. Don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but at the same time, it's not really my friends. I mean, I don't, I don't hear from them. They're not going to come visit me. <laughs> I don't interact with you. So then I'm back in this thing of, well, should I delete it? Um, I'm, I'm considering just getting it all off my phone and only going to it on my computer. Um, I thought it was very well tied. I find myself flipping through it, and I'm like, I could be learning something. I could be learning about something I'm interested in, and I'm flipping through stupid stuff. <laughs> I thought it was very well titled as well. The dilemma well, it was a, just a perfect word for how I personally feel about social media. Kevin just hit it on the head. There, there are a lot of things that. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna uh, old school you here a little bit, but eh, maybe not not as old school for some people. But <clears throat> I used to, you know, I, I've been involved in you know computers since I was a kid. I, I've always just been fascinated by them. I guess if nothing else, and certainly the internet was a big deal to me. And I would get on. I mean, I used to dial into bulletin boards, and this is we're talking you know late '80s guys. I'm dialing into bulletin boards when I was living in San Francisco, and you know you'd communicate with people, and then you'd dial out, you'd post things. It was literally like a bulletin board. You can imagine it. You know, you'd post a message, and then you'd come back a couple of days later and see if you had some responses. All right, and so those things continued on into the the modern internet, and that was you know really what I would call the early social media. But you know they were very specific groups, and and they were rec dots you know, parrot dot, you know, org or whatever. And it would just be these little groups and you would just have a group of people from all over the world, really, that would go in there and you would talk about different things. And, and you want to talk there, were, you want to talk about some dark times. It was completely unregulated. Nobody, there was literally no censorship, no cancel culture. And some of the stuff that was in there, guys, was absolutely horrific. If you just look through just the titles of the groups, and Bill, you're shaking your head. You maybe you remember some of the stuff, or I've seen it or heard about it. But it was it was absolutely insane. Uh, and then you know, fast forward to today, and again, <laughs> what 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 Kevin said. Some some places these days have no other presence. If you're interested in working or being part of some organization, and it could just be a store, you want their hours, you want to know what they sell, et cetera, et cetera. The only way you're going to get that is through that Facebook page, because they don't have to then hire a developer, build a website, maintain a website, et cetera, et cetera. Everything happens to them for free, even though they're, again, as we as we talked earlier, or, or Kevin mentioned, they're the product. We're the product, whatever we do. So I get it, man. That's, I mean, that's, talk about podcasting right and that's the, that's the trouble that's where my podcast page yeah. lives and i even have a regular page but i get a heck of a lot more traffic on the facebook page for my other podcast than i do 
uh, on on the standalone page. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last time, didn't we? You know, with uh, having a podcast, where where else do you go, right? I mean, it's an internet-based medium. Where are you going to go to tell people about it, interact with people about it, etc.? Like, you have to do it. I feel. Um, you know, my friend Andrew, who was on the last podcast, he's Adam. He he's a computer programmer for Christ's sakes, and the guy hates Facebook and keeps trying to urge me to get off these things. But it's like, dude, but you're always urging me to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> How am I going to tell people about it and, and get more guests to be on it? I've met so many guests uh, through social media, yep. frankly. Yeah, well, you mentioned that before the show, Twitter, you know, for your, you, you found your last guest on Twitter. And I and did. And also some of the, you know, um, you know, this guy that I'm going to be talking to from the TV show, I, I also found him on Twitter, you know, like people who actually aren't just like, I don't know, self-professed internet comedians or anything, but actual professional comedians and other people who have Twitter accounts. I've found them through there. So it's, for me, it's definitely done some good. Right. Yeah, again, it it provides value. That's where people are. And uh, <clears throat> do we want to talk about the free speech aspect of this? Uh, I mentioned cancel culture a minute ago and how things were a little more wild at one point in time before it became so ubiquitous to where now everyone's eyes can basically see it because at the time not everyone you know even knew what a forum was let alone how to get to it right so it was a little more uh you know controlled that way but i mean what, what do you guys think about that i mean well let me back up even a little further let's talk about television and when it became a thing and how it became and my question to you both is this if television would not have started with advertisements which again makes us as the watchers of television, the, you know, we're the product because when you're selling advertising as a network, you're selling how many people are watching the programming, right? That's it's the same thing. It may not be the, the clear profile that Facebook can develop today, but it's something. So my question is this, had television, because there, there was a time when television didn't have a real good model on how they were going to make money. I, or maybe we could even go back to radio because they probably copied the radio model a little bit. But if, if those things, would there have ever been, would it have taken off? absent advertisers paying for it would someone self-fund something like that and the same thing goes now what do you guys think i think no i mean absolutely not because it was so expensive to to do it to produce it to, to put it out there to buy the consoles like the i think why it's even a topic right now is just uh how cheap everything is um i mean cell phones smartphones laptops you know, you don't have to get state-of-the-art equipment to have access to the same things that everybody else does. We talked about this once before about the podcasting and how just in the last few years, how much simpler it's getting to do. Uh, I did like that in the documentary where they were showing a lot of the vloggers, right? I don't see it. When, whenever we talk about these things, like the vlogging atmosphere and stuff doesn't come up very much. I did like that they touched on that a little bit because I feel like that there's something so undignified about just talking into your screen. I think, um, but people really, really eat it up. Yep. So again, like these people back in the day on TV show, it would have cost a lot of money just to get this person on the air, sitting in a chair, putting makeup on them. Um, let you know, let alone whether or not they they had professional credentials or anything like that. But it just would have been such an effort to get that to happen. Yeah, everybody would have watched it because they would have had no choice, right? There's no other options for entertainment really, other than sitting in front of your TV and those three channels. So there's going to be some asshole talking to you about you know his favorite TV shows or why the Democrats suck. 
you're going to watch it. And now there's just, <laughs> there's just millions of those guys, just right. millions of those people. Right. So yeah, you could definitely watch other things just as cheaply and easily. Um, but I think that, I hope that answered your question. I don't think it would have happened back then. I, th I think that the, the cost of being able to do it now is just so cheap. Got it. Yeah. There's a lot of free things that come out of the, of the internet. You mean, Google's a great example where they, I mean, they've got a great suite of products that don't cost anything to use. Uh, and, you know, there's a reason for that, right? I mean, I was, a, I was an early adopter of Gmail where you had to, back in the day when you had to get an invitation from a buddy that had it, right? You were in a special group <laughs> to get a oh, Gmail man, I account. I think you're the one who first told me about it now that I think of it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it I was. I didn't even know that. Yeah. The, so I, I was, uh, I was, I was all in with, uh, with G now I didn't think about things at the same, the same way I do today, but whatever. Kevin, what do you think? Do you think we would have gotten to the point uh, in television, absent advertising and the free model? Not at all. No, no, they needed the advertising. I mean, that's what's driven the whole thing. I think even, I think even, um, I think you could even say that about Facebook and social media if it wasn't for the advertising and stuff and the, have, fit them figuring out how to monetize it. I don't think it would have went very far. I mean, no, it wouldn't have. That's my point. Yeah. I mean, what's the difference between, uh, I'm not an expert, between my, was it, was it MySpace? MySpace and MySpace. Just that one like went after it a little harder, I think, right? My, well, my, oh, yeah. MySpace went out of favor, but it was, you, know, you had your wall, right? And it, Facebook, Facebook came in after that. It was just a natural transition. They they learned a lot of lessons from MySpace. Do you remember why that was? I mean, I remember very vividly um, having MySpace. MySpace was everywhere. MySpace was what everybody did and talked about, and it drove the conversation. And then Facebook was this marginal thing that just kind of slowly creeped its way in. And the people who started to talk me into joining Facebook were like, Facebook is for adults. You know, <laughs> MySpace is for kids. Come on, sure. join the adults, join the adult conversation. And I'm sure that that was a really big reason because, you know, they started at the universe, uh, what, Harvard or whatever. And at first it was only for, I think, university students. students yeah. And so there was this sophistication that came with it in the beginning. Yeah, I think, I think the, a couple, couple of things. One, you're right. It, it felt a little juvenile. MySpace did. Uh, to have a MySpace page felt juvenile. Uh, second, secondly, I think that, it was a lot less work to be on Facebook than it was MySpace. You had to actually do something with MySpace. Facebook, you just showed up. And they started, you know, recommending your friends to you, your friend list. And they'd help you walk through things. You didn't have to choose a wallpaper or come into all these other choices to build a MySpace, you know, to build a Facebook page. You just didn't have to. Oh, what's your name? Oh, where are you from? You know, and they'd ask you these questions. Real simple stuff. MySpace. You had to go out and, and, you know, this is who I am. And, you know, you, you built this persona, not a lot different, I think, than, than some of the things today, but you don't have to do that with Facebook. You can just show up and put a profile pick up and they'll start doing everything for you. And then how you engage with it, they just start collecting it and then recommend things to you. That, that's what I think happened. I think it was just a natural change just because of the evolution. People were, people were also starting to remember when Facebook came in, uh, the computer, home computer and internet connection levels were, were ramping up at an exponential rate. Uh, you know, people were really getting involved worldwide. So it was just, I think timing, oh, yeah. timing was a big deal. Same with the, with the iPhone. It, iPhone wasn't something special. You know, it really wasn't uh, connect. I mean, honestly, at some point it was going to happen. We we're going to connect our music player with our phone. That was just, you know, 
they made a seamless uh, adaption to it. But remember, Palm and some of these other places were already doing it. Uh, Blackberry was doing mm -hmm. it. So it was already going to happen. It's just, it was the natural evolution of it, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and see, I, I discovered Facebook through friends that have, were just a little bit younger that were in college. And when you're talking about MySpace, they was like, oh, we use Facebook. It was kind of a big deal. Was, so I think that was maybe deliberate or not, that was genius to get all those college kids hooked on it. And they were just not doing MySpace, right? That was like Billy said, maybe that was for kids or the high school yep. kids were doing it. So. Yep, it, uh, it was brilliant, whatever it was. It kind of makes you wonder what the, what the end game is for this stuff. Because you guys think about it with a podcast, right? Like, I don't charge any money, and I spend money on it. Not not much. It's a pretty negligible amount to, to host it. But then at some point you wonder, when do I start monetizing things? And I think the Facebook people, you know, they must have thought about it on that level too. Maybe maybe old Tom at MySpace thought about it, and he just fell behind. But you kind of wonder, <laughs> I like, forgot about Tom. <laughs> What am I, my first friend. What am I doing it for? Right. And then I yeah. think once you cross that threshold, that opens up a lot of, a lot of problems, at least I, 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 just thinking about it out loud. Like what, what was Zuckerberg wanting to do with it in the beginning? Because that guy in the documentary, I, I, I you know, they hired me to monetize Facebook. I love that. They didn't care how I did it. Just make <laughs> us money. <laughs> We How do we make money? Popular. Everyone loves us, but we don't got any money. That's right. Can you get us some money? That's right. And, and Google, so back to my experience with search engine optimization, Google had already went down this road of monetizing your your search search engine, you know, uh, uh, results or whatever you're looking for, and they capture that, and that's how. So when you when you wanted to buy when you wanted to buy something, uh, a keyword. Right. And it was really based on a couple things. One, you would know how many people were searching for that term. And you still do. These tools are all still there. But you go in and you find, you think about what your product is, you think about what you're trying to sell to people or get people to come to. And then you go through and then you look through and see how many people search for this. When they do search for it, what are the relevant things they click on, et cetera, et cetera. And it, I mean, it, it truly is more art than science because what Google is very good at is protecting how they do it. Okay. So anyone that tells you they're a search engine optimizer, they're definitely engaged in it, but they don't have any specific uh, inside knowledge. Nobody does. It's that highly guarded. You have to, you know, figure out how to game the system for your customers. That's what, what you're doing. Or as the small business owner or whatever, you're doing the same thing. You're figuring out how to make yourself trend. And that's, it's a tough game. And monetizing a podcast the same way, you've got to build some kind of an audience uh, to do it, how do you build an audience? Is it word of mouth? Maybe. How do you get word of mouth out? Well, now we're going to getting into the free speech thing. It's the public square. And that's, in my opinion, that's what the public square is now. I don't go, you know, go downtown and stand on a soapbox and start talking and have this group of people gather around me like I may have in the 1800s. Nobody gives a shit. They're going to say he's a loon and call the police. But I can do the same thing on social media and I'll have a hell of a lot bigger audience. Uh, on Facebook specifically, I can't just make a website and do it. I have to go to Facebook or some social media platform to get that audience initially to hear me out. I think that's the struggle, isn't it? That, you know, the soapbox metaphor is very apt. And yet, you know, 100 years ago, 60 years ago, I think you'd really, really, really have to have something to say to, to do that. You'd have to have a fire lit underneath you to it wouldn't necessarily even have to be crazy but you, it would just have to mean that it's a motivation to go out and do yeah 
Yeah, and nowadays it's just so casual. Every opinion needs to be sent out there. <laughs> and you know, the documentary kind of ends a little bit on that note, right? Where you know, there's just this miasma of like people again talking into their phones and talking into their cameras, just pontificating about various things. And I think that's what led that kid astray, you know, made, made him go to that park and, and protest and go to jail with his sister, drag his sister down with him. Sorry for spoiling it. <laughs> you know, so what, what did you guys think about that when they asked, I thought that was very ominous when they said like, what is your biggest fear about it? And that one gentleman said civil war, like he didn't even think about it. I, I absolutely no, think I the think polarization that, drives that. Not real. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's, um, it's in that it's not dividing, but there's a division and it enhances it or enables it. Um, and you keep getting hit with those things that you believe in, right? Like if you're whatever it is, flat earther, you're going to flat earth, flat earth, flat earth. Price, and you're like, these people that think this thing is round, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> Cuckoo. <laughs> you know, like on, on that note, you know, my, my student, one of my students, she bought into the flat earth thing and she was, I heard her trying to talk to some of her friends about it. So I went over there, tried to have a teachable moment and I'm asking her why she believes this. And she's showing me these videos of some quack, um, talking about it, right? He's got the, all these tattoos on his neck and all this stuff. And I'm trying to tell her like, well, let's look at this guy. What are his credentials? Where does he come from? You know, and then then I, I try to find something else that contradicts it. And I look at Bill Nye, right? And, and he's this goofy looking guy with this freaking bow tie. And the two guys standing next to each other, they look just as ridiculous. <laughs> and, and, and while I'm trying to explain this to her, I'm realizing like I'm doing a very bad job because neither of these guys really sound like they know what they're doing. They both just sound like they're arguing something that's canceling one another out. And my student is just not, not really getting it. She's just like, uh, I'm just going to believe the loudest one. I'm going to just go with the guy that makes the most sense, to, who speaks to me. I have tattoos. He has tattoos. I trust that guy. Bowtie guy's a little weird. And I don't, I don't, not buying it. No, no authority. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that she, that's her authority. And that's, that's, that's the thing, right? I mean, uh, you can get on, you can get, and I, and I, I've got a very close friend slash family member that, is is one of these one of these people that I've, I've struggled with over the years, because he he finds anyone that he listens to on a podcast or sees on YouTube, for some reason it's a legitimate authority regardless of what the message is or what they're saying, and doesn't think twice about it and literally will will then take that information that he learns and go deliver it as fact to other people and it's I, you know. Uh, Maybe I'm I'm not special, but perhaps I'm just more of a critical thinker because I or more cynical. That's probably the better word for it. I'm just more cynical. When I see someone, it doesn't matter who it is, tell me something. If it doesn't pass my internal sniff test, and I'm not, you know, my, my initial reaction is buh <laughs> over most right. things. You know, I, I I don't know why. I, maybe I'm just wired that way. I don't even know. People are, are susceptible to things like this, whether it's a the desire to belong or to f fit in or, or whatever it is. I mean, that's how people end up in cults or whatever else you want to, you want to talk about. I mean, I had a family member that would just talk about what he saw on the news as if it's fact. I'm like, it's not fact. Like just because it's written in a paper or somebody says on TV, it doesn't necessarily make it fact. There's a lot of, of opinion. And, and this was 10 years ago. I think the opinion is, 
amped up to 11 now. Like, I think it's all just opinion. <laughs> and all what they, they talked about alternative facts in there, too. If everyone has their own set of facts, you know, how do you, you know, how, it's, it's to me, this reminded me, and I, I'm probably going to offend people here, but when we talk about a religious conversation, you can't have multiple religions talking to each other or anti-religions or, or non-religions all talking to each other because your frame of reference where the facts are are different. And you can't engage those two people if you have a different set of facts. One one says that their divinity is here, the other one's divinity is here, the other one has no divinity. They have and then you're going to refer to their own divinity as factual. That's the problem. And that's that that's the way a lot of this stuff works. It's who's your divinity? And and is your divinity, you know, why why is it a fact and their divinity is not? You don't get both. And you can pretend you do. But you really don't, right? So you can't have alternative facts. In Kevin's point, the opinion and fact blurs, blurs deeply in social media, in my opinion. Well, and then just, I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but the whole, I'll be careful here, censorship that's happening. Like, so one, you were talking about free speech. I'm 100% behind that. So say whatever you want, do whatever you want. You don't have the right to harm people. But if you're, it seems like there's a big faction of, that's like, hey, you're free to speak as long as you follow the, the what's right to speak about, which I think is super dangerous. Um, they're wanting to censor podcasts, they're wanting to censor social media, they're wanting to censor somebody if you're not. Would you say they? What are you referring to? The, like Democrat or Republican lines, just. There's different people that work within the social media companies that there are going to censor. There we go. It's that's interesting. That's the public square argument. You know, like that, that's the public square argument. We're not. We we've given this power to uh, you know by by participating. And again, if we're just doing it for entertainment, figuring out how to do some woodworking or how to do a computer, write a computer program, or maybe how to set up a podcast microphone, right? Those things all feel like very innocuous things. But it's the same platform that we're also getting our news from and, you know, sharing our opinions and getting opinions. And who controls that? That's Kevin's hitting it on the head there. It's somebody inside of a third party organization. And and there's there's got to there's going to have to be a reckoning between their actual power uh, and, and what we as humans think uh, free speech should be curtailed or not. It's not really up to the two or three people in the background because they don't like, and Kevin's referring to Joe Rogan, um, <laughs> you know, they don't like something Joe Rogan said. They want him off the platform that Spotify bought. But it happens in other ones, too. But that's just one we had recently sure. talked it's about. It's just interesting how, the, yeah, that's just the most recent thing that's that's really caught my eye is this. They're like, hey, yeah, the, we're, we're going to strike or we want Joe Rogan censored. The Some of the employees from Spotify, I don't know how many. Well, you never know what to believe what you read, but um, – they're talking about that and then i clicked on a couple or i, I searched just to kind of get more information about it and like the first article basically just said joe rogan and then transphobic podcast podcast host and i'm like that's not exactly what he's all about but that's what they want so, people to key on and that's what they want right. people to see the people that don't want him there right so they're going to focus on whatever personality trait is unfavorable at the time and <laughs> You know, guys, let me think about it. The three of us, anybody we know, 
we have problems, right? We're not perfect people. We have opinions that other people are going to find offensive, archaic, foolish, you know? I mean, whatever the case may be, there's people out there that aren't going to agree with us. And, and having one or two people saying, I'm the authority, I get to decide what should be and shouldn't be said is, that's, to me, it's very dangerous. And it's, it's not a new oh, problem. No, I mean, it's something that uh, I was reading a book of uh, George Orwell's essays recently, and this is something he wrote about during the time of World War II. And he was talking about, you know, when, for him, one of the big turning points was when the Nazis came to power and when they changed. Um, they changed things like there was no more, there was no longer science. There, there was German science, there was Jewish science, there was British science. You know, the Soviets got heavily involved with that. You know, there was no homo erectus. There was sovio erectus, things like that. You know, when they started changing things like that, when we weren't able, were not able to agree on, on basic truths anymore, as Orwell said it, he said, I'm more frightened of that than the largest bombs ever created. And that is saying a lot. I he said something to that effect. And man, I sure felt that, you know, with, with what's going on in this day and age. And he said something to the effect of, you know, when the leader is able to tell you that two and two equal five, that is more more dangerous than any bomb, you know. And he's he's right. He's absolutely right. right. There's no um, objective truth anymore. It's completely subjective, completely. So do you think that this fear of civil war, do you think that that is, um, do you think that's well-founded? Or, or do you think that it's just panicking? I think it's panicking, but it almost seems like it's um, it's possible with with the way things are going right now that there there could be some conflict. We're, I don't feel like we're heading towards resolution right now. I was reading the uh, Los Angeles Times uh, this morning. Not that I read the paper normally, but today I was. And I was reading their opinion piece, and you guys may have read Governor Newsom. Um, you know, is requiring electric vehicles by 20, is it 40, something like that. And there were, I read three different opinions in this, uh, this column about this specific topic. And the first one was, and these are people from LA, we've got rolling blackouts now, you know, next thing you know, Governor, Governor Newsom is going to put out an executive order saying that uh, the sun has to shine 320 days a day, 320 days out of the year, whatever the case may be. And then someone from the from the uh, electric car coalition or something to that effect, wrote an opinion that uh, you know any thinking person. Now this is this is what irritated me about that. Any thinking person would never buy a gas-powered car going forward. You know, basically telling you that if you're enlightened, you followed his opinion. And then the third person, the same thing, just another regular Joe. Look, <laughs> uh, already I people have to charge their cars at two in the morning. When it's hot out now, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and and they have these real life problems going on, and and what tripped me up here was when they said, you know, Governor Newsom and in, in California were complaining about fascism, but isn't that exactly what Governor Newsom is doing when he's complaining of, when he's ex issuing executive orders similar to Trump? Because right, everybody hates Trump in California. At least that's what we were expected to believe. And then <laughs> at the same time, Governor Newsom's essentially doing the same executive order type of unilateral things without any kind of a right. vote or anything like that. Uh, I mean, what, what does freedom mean? You know, you got to get philosophical about it, define your terms at some point. What does it what does it really mean? And at the bottom of it all, if we can't breathe 
there's freedom means nothing, you know, and, and I think sometimes you have, I mean, we all agree we, we need to sometimes make pretty bold and drastic decisions. You know, you, you need to enter your country into a war from time to time. You need to take care of huge, huge issues. I don't think you necessarily need to go to the moon, but you can. You can galvanize people to really big, big objectives. And when it comes to just a simple thing like breathing, I, I think, you know, in Newsom's uh, I, I'm sure his heart is in the right place for sure. I think, you know, I, maybe it's not the right way to go about it because yeah, Americans are very prickly about this whole freedom concept. You know, just the word itself brings up so many, so many things, you know, is that John Wayne said in the Alamo, right? The word Republic just, it just brings a tear to your eye and it just uh, says everything about being a man and being <laughs> an American, something to that effect, you know, like we all just have this, this sense of what it means to be free to live in a republic. So when we see either side flex their muscles a little bit to any cause, it freaks us the fuck out. Um, you know, uh, with Trump, the left was so pissed off at him for not uh, not making quarantine orders sooner, right? And it's like, so they were pissed. He does this whole list of other things that are pretty totalitarian. But one thing that he doesn't, they get upset at him <laughs> for not doing. That's it's right. It's kind of just it's just bizarre. Well, that's the thing about the, that we do back to the Civil War thing. My point about that uh, little opinion piece was how everything seems polarized. There's never a give and take. There's never a, you know, let's let's find some common ground. At least it feels that way. Uh, and your point's well taken about hunger and, you know, uh, air is a great example. But when you're hungry. I don't really give a shit who the president is at that point. If I haven't eaten, right, or if I'm struggling to find food, none of that matters to me. None of this stuff we're talking about matters. Uh, right. What matters is getting food in my belly and a drink of water. And then we could talk about who should be yeah. in charge, right? Uh, yeah. It's more of a pedestal thing. But, yeah, I think civil war is a, I think it's a very real possibility if we continue to go down this this uh this path that we're on because the polarization is there and that's what's going to drive it. People get you know, this feel that strongly right now. We're seeing a very small number of people out there, you know, that are protesting and destroying shit in the, the cities, right? It's a small number, but you know, that creeps into the suburbs and they start acting that way, you know, where the bulk of the people are and older people. Yeah. I could see it happening if people were, were that strongly uh, opinionated about something. Yeah, it just takes you know, it's that crowd mentality, right? Um, I think that I think that you know I think that the media kind of has a, a role to play in this too, right? Because they're showing you nothing but negative on the news, right? So a friend, so like I said, I just think that civil war is possible. I hope it doesn't happen, but I feel like we're teetering on the edge of things getting worse before they get better. However. A friend of mine had to go to Portland to find her, um, her brother that has mental issues and he's homeless a lot. Like he just dis disappears a lot. Um, she was there like I don't know a month ago, right? And you saw these pictures on the news about how Portland like looked like a war zone, right? Like they were portraying it to look like Beirut in the eighties. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but she went and she sent all these pictures of how nice it was and places. And she talked to some homeless people and they were friendly and they were trying to help her her brother and. It's not a complete disaster, but if you see anything on the news, depending on which way you're looking at it, maybe, you think that you better stay out of Portland or you're probably going to die. That's my point. It's a small group of people. and and But, you know, you think about this, the big news outlets that are doing that, look, they're, they're, you're competing with 
the the blogger. You're competing with all these other people that may not have any news credentials for clicks, but they they become newsworthy because they are able to gain an audience through their their skill set. Uh, so what do you? I mean, it's 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 if that's all if that's what's getting the clicks, you go after the negative. I I don't have an answer for it. Billy. You you're actually a, a, a degree journalist. Tell me what you think. I'm a newsman. I'm an old-fashioned <laughs> newsman. I'll tell you. I think I think it's absolutely creepy as well. Like they the the YouTube people especially the way they masquerade as news. That's the way I, I see it. Like if you really watch them, they they dress like news people. They talk like news people. They even have the graphics now. I'm talking about people like the Young Turks specifically. Um, mm -hmm. Whether they're left or right, they're all doing it right now. Um, and they they're not they are not out there. Um, collecting news, right? Well, I guess they are, but but not themselves. They're collecting it from other people. So it's a filter of a filter of a filter. And at the end of it all, it just becomes opinion. And you don't really have to watch it all that carefully to, to understand that. But the people who, who get all of their news from it don't seem to mind. I, I think that that's the, the most alarming thing about it. Um, you're right about port. There's, there's no balance to it. Everything is the, the very negative, the very negative. Um, Maybe you'll get an occasional positive story depending on what side they're on, but it'll just be the positive, the positive, the positive. There's no balance. They, they don't really present both sides of anything anymore. Um, I don't even know really where to get that. You know, I, I really don't. <laughs> That's a great question. I think, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, the media definitely probably has the, it's funny because we say like the media, we're, we're the media. We That's right. right now. We're doing it right now. Right. That's right. Quite literally. And, and so, I don't know where it begins and where it ends anymore. Before, I think when people would say the media, we pretty much knew what that was, but television and radio, right? And then early internet. And now it's just everywhere. We are like the, the old phrase about we are the government, right? Because we it is of the people, for the people, by the people. We are the media. Everybody is. Everybody who contributes uh, to social media or otherwise. We, we are the media. So how do we change this? How do we... Um, Make sure that it's more balanced, you know, and, and that's a that maybe that's worthy of its own documentary. Um, you know, how do we purge ourselves of some of this extra crap? I'll end it by saying that, uh, or at least I'll end this point by saying that what one thing that we need to do is stop sandwiching these serious conversations in with entertainment. I mean, uh, my my parents have Xfinity, and you know, you'll go on the Xfinity page to look at you know your favorite TV shows, or whatever, and you'll see like. All in with Chris Hayes and this uh, Rachel Maddow, that and whatever. But it's always sandwiched in with all the other cop dramas and all the other stuff, right? And even this this documentary we just watched, the Social Dilemma on Netflix, um, it's on. The, I I I didn't click it in. I didn't say it into the remote control. You know, I just went on Netflix and looked at trending now. And so when it's it's sandwiched in between all their other comedies and their, you know. Uh, everything else, it, it, it just gets lot, it, it all gets mixed in with entertainment. It's all entertainment. You got right? it. Yeah, for sure. And it's a documentary, guys. We got to look at that too. We got to, we got to, we got to really, we probably should have put a caveat on this in the beginning of the show. This is a documentary. Documentary has a bias. We know that going into it. So there are, you know, not everything on there. We're, we're only seeing what they wanted us to see uh, during that documentary. Whatever, whatever that message they, for hoping to send, we've talked about what we received, <laughs> but we got to remember that just because it's in a documentary format doesn't mean it's all legitimate. Same as all of the things we've said today are certainly opinions, <laughs> and and you know 
based on our own set of circumstances, right? We, I think, but I, I guess the difference here is that I think we kind of get that as we're going down this, uh, going down this path. And one thing I sent to you guys earlier today was, in, and it was on security.org, uh, and it is, is social media ruining your life? And it, it was a poll they did of 2,700 people. And before we get into what they said, I want to, or, or what, you know, what they, what the questions they ask and what they figured out, I want to, I want to talk about the methodology here. It was 2,700 responses, uh, American, and it was all American. And, there's 330 plus million people in the U.S. as info, just to give you. Now that, you know, you guys have some education and statistics, you know, that's not necessarily a negative thing, depending on how they gathered the 2718. But it was, what we do know is there was a self-reporting situation here. So uh, there's going to be some bias there. And interestingly, 40% of the respondents were male and 60% were female. So we need to know that going into it. Uh, the primary respondents were millennials. 53% of them uh, were in the millennial age. 36% were Generation X, and only 6% uh, were between 55 and 75, and 5% over 75. And that's interesting because uh, the the first question they ask is social media's impact on life satisfaction, and the question, uh, you know. Does social media improve or worsen your life satisfaction? 70% improve, 29% say it worsens. This is where it gets interesting. We look down there by generation, and remember the numbers I just said. Uh, 83% of baby boomers say it improves it improves their life. But those are the people that responded, and it was 5% of the respondents, whereas millennials, 66% said it improved their lives, and only 33% said it made it worse. And we we're pretty close to Generation X. And only 16% of baby boomers said it made it worse. Now, what it tells me is this. Those small number of people that actually responded from the baby boomer generation, what do we know about? Absolutely nothing. But what my guess is this. Uh, it does improve their life because it probably gives them some connection to family. And I think there's that's where the positive comes in on this thing. And if in in quite frankly, absent social media, there's you know if you're if your family's living six seven eight hundred miles away, that's how you talk to them. You FaceTime with them. You see their pictures on Facebook and Instagram. The number one answer I get from my friend group when I ask them why they don't leave social media is because they can keep in touch with their children. Yes, I think you know another telling part of that documentary was when that gentleman from Twitter, the, the guy who was pretty much the main focus of the documentary, he said that, uh, he's arguing with a guy and the guy was talking about how it's just a tool, right? Like the internet being, and I've heard that argument a lot when people say that about guns and other things. But but unlike guns, you know, and maybe you guys know more about this, I'm not a computer guy, but just, just by definition with the algorithms that are built into these things, it seems that you know it's not a fair comparison. It would be like if a gun had a mind of its own, right? I mean, it, it seems to me like that threshold has been crossed. It, it has a mind of its own. It, it's been programmed to have a mind. It is the the internet. Um, so it, it seems to me like it's just not a benign technology at all. Not not whatsoever. And so even the, you're absolutely right about like, uh, there's definitely positive things. There's so many positive things. I, I could list a lot of personal ones myself, and I'm sure older people, the connection they have with their families is um, very important. But at the same time, like there, there's so many other ways to still get it without feeding that freaking machine, right? Without feeding that beast. 
But if, if Grandma Jones, I mean, Grandma Jones in 1970 would have said the telephone has improved her life for the same reason, right? And uh, in, in, in that, that's, that's what she would have pointed to. And today, you know, being able to have a phone and get a, either a text of a picture or go to some app where, you know, where, where grand, grand, grandson Joey is at and she can see what's going on with Joey and, you know, feel some engagement there. Because I can tell you that now that I have a 25-year-old that lives 1,500 miles away, uh, it's, you know, we have conversations, but I also see things that he posts on his social media. And one of the reasons I continue to go to Instagram, for example, even when I'm not actively posting my photography, is to kind of go see what my son's doing. And then I go down a rabbit hole. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the funny part that's about it. That's the problem, right? That's the problem. <laughs> I can't just go look at his stuff. I get then all of a sudden I'm scrolling, right? So yeah, I, and you know he's he's doing the same thing, and absolutely. then everybody's doing that. Everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'd I'd say it's it can be used for a tool, but it also it's addictive, right? So it's by design. You compare it to to like like with a gun, right? So you can teach your kids how to safely operate handguns, to be responsible with them. You can do all that stuff. However, you cannot successfully teach somebody how to manage their life with cocaine. So I don't know <laughs> which one it is. Unless people I'd like to try that challenge, though. <laughs> People that want a gun can get a gun. I think we can... Responsible heroin use. <laughs> People that want a gun can get a gun. I think we can all agree on that, at least in our country. People want a gun, get a gun. That's fine. Yeah. But the, the thing is, not everybody wants a gun or has even any interest in a gun. Uh, that's To me, that's right. the bigger difference, where it's almost to the point where existing in our society yeah. without an internet connection, that's pretty hard to do. You see what I'm yeah, saying? You know, and I definitely didn't want to make it seem like anti-gun so much. It's just that example of the the tool that yeah. is. Uh, it's not about the object itself. It's about the intention of the user. And the thing with the the social media, with the internet, doesn't matter what the intention of the user is, right? It, because it's got a mind of its own. It's extracting something from you with your data, with everything else, with advertising to you, using your information to target other people and targeted ad advertising. You got it. That's something that like, you know, not, not no other weapon, no other, nothing I can think of in modern society is capable of doing that or ever was. Absolutely yeah. agree. You kind of get back to curating it. Can you curate it to make it where it's only the good side of it? You're like, you're only using the helpful side of it. And the other thing, are you willing to, right? Am I willing to give up the friends and the, the things that I don't really, that don't bring value to my life? Or am I going to... I think you could try, but I... Can't. You guys have tried, right? Yeah, got, I've, I've literally deleted it. I've completely deleted Facebook before. Call it 2011, 2012, something like that. I completely deleted Arab it. Arab Spring? Was it the Arab Spring? <laughs> <laughs> and I came back. I started over. And then the next time I deleted it, what I did was put it on. I can't remember what they call it. I just got off of it, like logged out permanently type thing. But they kept all of my friends and information in the background. Because yeah. I knew I might come back. And I did. And, and I came back and... Uh, honestly, I don't care for it, but to Kevin's point, there's a lot of things that if I want to participate and interact with some organization or even a lot of the forums, I, there's some standalone forums I do. There's, there's only a couple now that I have, I have a photography one and a computer one, everything else 
if it's a forum, I have to go to Facebook to find the group. That's where the people are, and that's where I'm going to interact mm -hmm. with those people. But to yeah. avoid the rest so of it is very hard to do. I don't know if you can. Yeah, there's groups I want to track and be a part of. And then also, if I can't teach myself to use it responsible, like how am I going to teach my kids to? So I got to yeah. figure it out. And then also, yeah. I can't not have a Facebook or someday whatever other crazy app I have to have in order to make sure that my kids aren't doing ridiculous things <laughs> online. I mean, you got to be there for them to support them. I'm, like I said, I, my daughter's 26, and every time she sends a picture with a filter, I reply in their comments, stop. <laughs> it irritates her, but I'm no, quit doing that. You're pretty enough. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's how do you, how do you, yeah. I, you know, Kevin and I talked about this before, uh, especially with Instagram. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I want to showcase, uh, my photography. I want to build a following. I have the same needs and desires for that. Those endorphins that everybody else has to be liked and, you know, appreciated, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's hard to do. It is hard to do that. And it, it's actually almost, almost depressing when you go in there, if you're not, and I don't have a pretty face, I don't have nice breasts or a nice butt and I cannot exploit those things. And so the types of things that I wanted to showcase outdoor locations, backpacking, things like that, I can tell you where you're going to get, you want attention. You need to show some skin if that, if that makes sense. And yeah. understanding that is different than actually living it. So understanding it from an outside perspective and saying, yeah, I, I can see how this works. But at the same time, it's like you still want to have your work recognized. doesn't matter if you're attractive or pretty or anything else, right? And I'm not talking about just me. I'm talking about in general, guys. You know, you go in there and, and you see this artificial sense of reality, people that are influencers and et cetera, et cetera. That's not reality. That's not what most of us are, right? There's one or two people that have the million likes. Most of us are... You know, just throwing a few things up and trying to get a you know a couple people to appreciate it, but it can be depressing if you're not accepting it from the right place. I guess that's yes. A, For, first know. of all, Jason, you're beautiful. Don't, <laughs> don't, let, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But that is uh, that that the, that was a very alarming the uh, the suicide and the self harm statistics that yeah. they presented. Um, and certainly, even anecdotally, you, you notice it. You notice a depression amongst teenagers. You notice anxiety. It's too much to blame at all on social media, but it absolutely plays a huge, amplifies huge it. part in it. Yes. And I don't know how to help them if they don't want to help themselves. You know, it's a, it, it's weird to have, use this language. They, they mentioned that in the documentary, to, just to use the word user. Who else calls their customers users but drug pushers? Oh, interesting. And yeah, good point. It's funny about t talking to students about this or even talking to friends, even talking about it myself. You use the language of an addict, don't you? You know, like, is this causing you more harm than help? Is it taking you away from your family? Mm -hmm. Is it, if you check these boxes, you may have a problem, you know? There's a lot of this. <laughs> right. And nobody wants to hear it until they're ready to hear it. And nobody wants to do anything about it until they're ready to do something about it, until they hit a, a certain rock bottom. And I notice it with my students, especially during COVID. Some of them have it, this is driving them crazy to be stuck in their rooms with nothing but their phones to keep them company. Um, we do weekly check-ins and during my check-ins, I ask them, well, what are you doing with your time? And it's always like, well, I'm on social media, mister. And it's like, stop it. Fucking stop it. Like, <laughs> I, I can hear what it's doing to you. I know what it's doing yeah. to you. And I'm, I'm the type of 
principal, teacher, whatever, that I can say that stuff and no one will yell at me. And it is like talking to a drug addict. Like they're not ready. They're That's not right. ready to do it. I know it's bad. I know. But I could stop at some point. I will. Well, it's like it's like eating disorders. It's like anything else. And that's one of the things that is really hard to wrap your arms around, especially when you're talking to kids. Kevin, you mentioned this. I've I've got one just a, uh, sitting at 15, and I, she is a she is a phone addict. That's a fact, and it's very limited. I mean, I have some. She has what is it, Instagram, and I think Snapchat, which I also have. And uh, the only thing, you know, I don't I I don't know how to just absolutely say. No, you can't do that. She watches more YouTube than anything else, to tell you the truth. And I, dude, I don't know. I don't have an answer for any of this. Absolutely not. I'm, I'm, I'm horrible at figuring out how to control it. I, I don't necessarily understand it. My biggest fear for this whole thing is the social media bullying when it comes to a kid. I'm more concerned about that than the actual using it too much. I'm more concerned about how somebody could harm her in some way. That's my biggest fear at this point. And, and until I can overcome yeah. that, it's hard for me to worry about the rest of it. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. You know, I'm, you know, when I'm letting students into the school, I'm looking at their files and it's funny to look at their behavior files and you see language that one, at one point was only used to put, uh, members of the mafia in prison. You see things like extortion, blackmail in their student files, you know, yeah. because of things they did to other students on social media. Wow. And it's like, this is, pretty bizarre that's right it's a it's it's a scary scary tool that's what i will say about it especially with kids yeah and i think there's groups even that are trying to push their agenda on kids like oh you're feeling depressed hey you might be this or you might be that right and they start yeah. influencing them that way too you bet it's, it can be bad you bet yeah there's a lot of influence out there uh <laughs> on social media trying to you know, well, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get the kids' attention, and that's that's a tough thing to do. Hell, we as parents are have trouble to do trouble doing it as well. And there's a lot of money out there to get their attention, right? A lot of money. Yeah. That's where advertisers spend their money. Is you know this this next generation because those are the ones that are going to be spending their money. Once you get to be, you know, my age, I'm older than you two guys, but at, at 49 years old, you know, I'm kind of done buying a lot of the frivolous stuff right whereas younger people yeah. they're still going to be building up their their things whatever the case may be uh certainly a lot more so than i will be i'm you know at this point they're going to try to start selling me walkers and canes but uh yeah. <laughs> absent that well, you no, know and i mean ho hopefully right like what are these students going to do for a living you know how are they going to make the money to give these advertisers that's one thing i feel like they're not they're so ahead of the curve on so many things, they being, you know, Facebook and all these people, and yet they don't seem to have that part figured out. What if people just don't have the money for this crap anymore? You know, yep. what, what, what if a sunspot knocks down all of our technology? What happens in these cases? You know, they, they kind of very much are acting like, you know, they're all, you know, trying to jump off of a sinking ship. You know, they're just just trying to get off as soon as possible without any regards to where this is going to end up. What do you think about what do you think about um, closed environments like like Apple, where you have to get be part of the club, i.e., you you have to participate with their equipment to be part of their you know their services, uh, and I think they're starting to open that up a little bit. But generally speaking, it's a and they they claim 
that they protect your privacy through you know a lot of things yeah they're they're in fact we've seen it play out when we've had (laughs) quote-unquote terrorists not be able to law enforcement can't get into their their phones easily Um, right so i'm curious what you guys think about those things uh and this is a you know we're going a little little bit off of social media but i think it i think it's relevant here when it comes to privacy no i think so too and i i think you know the the people who were speaking during that documentary, they kind of ended on try to end things on a positive note by giving you some hopeful tips and things that they do. So and they, and not all of it was quit, right? Some some of them did, and some of them just had more mitigating advice, such as and I don't know know about these things. They require some research, but some browsers that don't record any of your history. Mm-hmm. Duck um, duck go. Fo- following people on Twitter who you don't believe, who you don't like. You know, that actively see, seeking out some of these people. Um, I think some of that is very helpful. I, I, I always kind of liked Apple's approach to the privacy thing, um, whether it was for good reasons on their part or not. I felt like it's a, it's a smart way to do it. Now they're really playing that up. I got a lot of flack from friends who were um, uh, cops or ex-cops when that San Bernardino killing happened, mm-hmm. the, the, ter- the terrorist couple. Um, but I was kind of on board with Apple for refusing I to, was too. to help yeah. them. I was too. And I got a lot of flack from, I have a lot of law enforcement friends and same, same type of situation, you know, I'm like, you know, it, it, uh, that's, that's the way it is. It's, it's, uh, yeah. cause you never know. I, I, I understand the, the concern with this individual specific case and why that bothers you. But at the same time, I also understand mankind's uh nature <laughs> and once you once you give uh authority uh, uh access to something they don't they don't just use it for good right it uh we're all guilty of some nefarious behavior in some way and and uh you know giving giving power to a a few people to be able to get into everyone's now nobody may ever have any interest in what jason does on his phone i never may have any contact with law enforcement but there's somebody out there that's innocently going to be um, taken advantage of over that, and that's where I'm troubled. Yes, me too. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, no, I agree with you guys 100%. It's uh, there's even times where I think, yeah, get it. you should give it to them, right? But at the same time, I agree with the philosophy of you, you, you. It's just not a line that really should be crossed, in my opinion. It puts Apple um, in a tough spot too. About, um, Bill, you were talking about. I'll just add this in real quick, but I've been searching for some sort of news that seems to be show both sides of things. And it's not perfect, but I found um, a show called um, Rising with Crystal and Sagar. It's, uh, I think it's on the Hill um, news site or whatever. It's pretty good because one's left, one's right, and, and they talk about things. They have like healthy conversations. Sometimes they agree, sometimes they just absolutely don't. Um, it's about the only thing that I found that's reasonable uh, right now. <laughs> Interesting. I, I, yeah, I've seen Hill things pop up before. I don't know much about the Hill. Is that Crystal Ball? I don't either. Yeah, Crystal Ball and that Sagar. I, can't, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I see. Yeah, I, I have seen. I know who she is. I've seen her on some things. I've watched a little bit of it, too. I think of it, uh, it seems okay. It seems like a lot. Every time I've tried watching, there's a lot of banter and stuff too that I, it's I, it's not what I'm tuning in for for the news. 
Um, but yeah, it's there's definitely some that are better than others, and and that show is certainly better than better than some, better than most <laughs> maybe. Right? Yeah, it didn't seem like they argue is what I I enjoyed about it—a difference of opinion without arguing. I do like that. Yeah, because I think that's where uh, you know John, uh, what's his name, <laughs> da- da- Daily Show fella, he. Uh, Remember, he was on uh, was a crossfire with uh, Tucker Tucker Carlson and and Combs, and he was kind of chastising them for uh, just contributing to nothing but theater. Right? They tried to present themselves as well. We have two sides of two two different different opinions. This is this is for a fervent debate. This is an ideological battleground. It's like no, it's not. Like it's a joke. You guys, it's just theater. It's nothing more than that. And so I'm always a little bit suspicious of the the point counterpoint shows. I, I feel like. You know, it, it's a good idea to get both sides of an argument, but it, a lot of it is depending on how it's presented. And if she's doing that in a more measured way, I think that's that's good. That's good that she's yeah, doing that. You might check out that show. It's called Rising, and it's definitely not the panel where you have the the two people just trying to speak over each other, talking. They're just reporting the news, and they'll go through their like lots of concerns. Oh, I forget. Oh, they call it what's on your radar. That want to go through it, want to go through it. They don't even debate their differences. They just talk about news. It's in. It's. I think it's worth checking out. That's interesting. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 Uh, when I think about a lot of the, a lot of what what you know we consider to be, I, I've always been a talk radio kind of guy, and you know, a lot of it's certainly entertainment. I think that's at least that's always been my expectation. But I think well, a lot of people hear somebody like Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity and. Again, those are the two that come to mind. Uh, but I know there's plenty out there on the the left as well. But they're entertainers, man. You know, when I hear those guys, it's an entertainment program to me. This is not fact based media. Uh, and I honestly, I don't even think maybe they do, but I don't know that. I don't know that it's really sold as anything other than you know opinion and entertainment. The way they the way they go through their their day and everything is shock value and. You know, the world's coming to an end, but by God, we can save it. Yeah. And this is how we're going to do it. And you got to be one of us. I think I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have a problem with it if indeed they really did admit it. You know, uh, this, it's my opinion. This is just a show to entertain folks. I hope you're enjoying it. That's, but they, they don't, you know, um, I, I guess I, I can't think of a specific example of Limbaugh, but, but very specifically Bill O'Reilly, who I put in that same mm-hmm. category. Sure was always calling himself a journalist and was always referring himself as a journalist. The first and foremost, what the guy hosted, um, inside edition, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, that wasn't journalism. What he did on Fox isn't journalism. Like stop calling it that. If he would just say that he's an entertainer, I'd have absolutely no problem with what he was doing before. It's the, and the, the left does it too. The masquerading of journalism is what bothers me. Nah, good. That's a great way to put it. I don't, yeah, I don't think they need to go away. Masquerading, just call it what it is. Yep. Yeah, because yeah, if you're if you're you got to be part of the clique, the tribalism thing. And this is we're really out of the <laughs> in the weeds here, but you know that's that's what it is with with Rush. I think it's the real American or true American. I can't remember the I can't remember the verbiage they use, but it's something to that effect. And if you call in and you agree with Rush, you're a real American or whatever it is. You know, it's like okay. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in other words, Riley, pa- patriots and pinheads. That's right. If right? I disagree, I'm a pinhead. If I disagree, <laughs> I'm not an American. Okay, got it. Got it. 
I like that. You got to be part part of the click. Yep. Their whole agenda is to get clicks. <laughs> Think about yeah. it. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, look what they, when they interview somebody, the questions they ask, how rude they are yes. to people. Like that's yeah. just, I'm going to stand up and just act like a jerk and then people will click on this and I'm going to embarrass yeah. this guy or person or lady. I'm just going to be mean to them. That's so, not journalism. Right. That's not. We've all yeah, watched. Go ahead. Well, one of, one of my teachers this week, she's younger, and she was saying that, you know, I, I really love it, you know, like when the Daily Show, when they, when they go to these Trump rallies and they interview people and they ask, why did you vote for Trump? And they say, well, you know, because tyranny this and blah, blah, blah. And then they point out the, the tyrannical things that Trump did and just, just to kind of throw it back in their faces and they just have nothing to say and they just <laughs> they just are struck dumb. I, I love it when, when they do that. Don't, don't you... I'm thinking, well, I didn't think this. I said it. No, no, I don't like that. <laughs> you know, and not only does the Daily Show do that, but I've seen CNN do that. You know, um, is that kind of it's similar to like what Jay Leno used to do with that jaywalking thing, right? Like you're, you're deliberately going out to try to embarrass people and make them yes, feel that's right. stupid. That's right. And if, if you're a comedian doing a comedy show, you know, OK. But if you're a journalist, like I've seen CNN do the same thing that The Daily Show is doing. And when you're doing that, um, in, in trying to have a discourse with Americans and trying to figure out how the other side thinks, I don't think ridicule is the best way to, to go about Absolutely changing not. minds, putting Absolutely them over not. your point of view. Absolutely not. And what you don't see when they go out and do those street interviews you know, and they ask a question, somebody doesn't know something, right? I remember the the one I remember specifically was about women's suffrage. And, you know, you listen to the word, and if you just do an inference and you're not really, you know, it's not your thing, you don't study these things, and you ask some woman if she believes in women's suffrage and she says no because, it, you know, she's only inferring the word, you know, that's not that's not right. You know, that's not the right thing to do, because how many people did they see and talk to that knew what it was and said, you're ridiculous and laughed them out of the, the, the place? All you're going to see is that one person that may not have understood what that word meant because of her uh, specific set of circumstances in her life. Right. Just that just never came up or whatever the case may be. And that to me, that's where any of these things fall into the same line, just because you have a political opinion. Sometimes it's just because you have some rough belief in, in the general ideals and principles. You don't necessarily know all the facts. And honestly, again, if you're out there hustling, trying to make a living and feed your family, you may not have time to go out and really get to know all those facts either, right? Not everybody has that option. They're busy doing other things. So I, I don't know. I, I struggle with some of that stuff too. And ridicule, to your point, is to me just serves no purpose. Well, have we solved the social dilemma? Gentlemen, we have. Uh, and Billy, I want to thank you especially for uh, hopping on with us today and, and walking through this. I think we had <laughs> we had some great conversation. And uh, Conversation X Nilo is the podcast. When's the next episode coming out? Friday. Every Friday. Every Friday. Uh, I, I, iTunes, Spotify, uh, I think I'm on it all. <laughs> all right. We'll have a link in the show notes for that, too. Uh, so, again... Thanks, guys, for listening to Command A. Send a link to your friends. Uh, this is a place where we talk about all things. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to Command A. Yes, huge thank you to spending time with us. Share your thoughts. Um, share us with, with friends and family. Uh, you can reach us anytime at commandapodcast at gmail.com for any questions. And, Billy, I really appreciate you spending another episode with us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. 
and we'll see you next time.